Coming up on Studios America, the newest U.S. jobs numbers are out and things are looking wonderful. So does President Biden deserve all the credit? Not if I can help it. And the radical left will undoubtedly be burning their flags this July 4th weekend. So I'll talk with PragerU's Will Witt about more patriotic ways to celebrate. And the Biden administration might just achieve what liberals have always wanted. 100% tax rates worldwide. Is this administration crazy enough to shoot their shot? Let's find out and do the left's logical endgame. Stu does America. I hope you're having a wonderful July 4th weekend. Uh, it's, it's the time of year that we celebrate our independence. And don't you feel independent right now? I mean, sure, the government's spending multiple trillions of dollars on every single thing they can think of. And they're telling you exactly what to do, what people you can meet with, how you can meet with them, whether you have to wear masks when you meet with them. Uh, sure, that's all there. And that's all kind of the background to what we're going to look at today, which is something that no one seems to be pointing at and, 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 and really uh, looking at, at least on the conservative side. It's a bizarre framework from the Biden administration to try to raise tax rates worldwide. A very strange proposal, and it's coming together right in front of our eyes. President Joe Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced Thursday that some 130 countries have agreed to a new 15% global minimum tax rate for corporations. Yellick called it a historic day for economic diplomacy in a statement adding that Biden has spoken about foreign policy for the middle class and today's agreement is what that looks like in practice. A global minimum tax rate. Do you remember voting uh, for someone advocating a global minimum tax rate? Now, Biden has thrown this proposal out a little bit here and there. But do you remember the Senate doing this? Do you remember the House voting for this? I kind of don't. In the U.S., the corporate tax rate is 21 percent due to former uh, President Donald Trump's 2017 tax rates, which were implemented in an attempt to keep businesses from fleeing to nations with lower rates. Biden has proposed raising it to 28 percent. So what does this actually look like? A global tax rate of 15 percent in 130 different countries. One of the things that's interesting about this is this sort of attempt to go around the normal process. We've seen this with uh, the attempt to overturn the electoral vote as well. Here in the United States, there's something called the national popular vote. Basically, the concept is they know that overturning the Constitution and amending it in a, in a way to make it so that we can just count popular votes is probably not going to happen in this country. It would be a lot of effort to get that done. So what they've decided to do with the National Popular Vote Compact is go state to state and go to the blue states and say, hey, you know, hey, New York, you got a bunch of electoral votes over there. What if instead of using those electoral votes for the people that vote uh, in your particular state? So let's say they vote for Biden in New York. What if instead you decide to vote for whoever wins the popular vote? And what if enough states come together that agree to this pact, they can go to 270 electoral votes. Then you're going around the Constitution. Then the national popular vote would, a winner would automatically win the presidential uh, seat. It's kind of an interesting idea. Seems a little shady, but that's kind of the way the left is operating at this point. There's a lot of this, a lot of effort on the left 
uh, pointed at trying to get around normal traditions and processes that we've had in this country and world for a very long time. Now, the, the Biden administration is very panicked about certain corporations that go to lower tax states, uh, excuse me, lower tax, tax countries, set up shop there, and then avoid taxes uh, from the United States. Tax evasion is supposedly costing billions and billions of dollars a year. And of course, the Biden administration wants its cash. So they're trying this thing. Now, there's, it, it's a little bit bizarre. I mean, and, and, and I will say it's more of a test case than something that's really going to affect our lives in a big way. And, and let me say why. First of all, 130 countries are going in on this. Almost all of them have tax rates that are already above 15%. So we are way above 15%. We're at 21 now. They want to bring it back to 28. We've been among the highest, but almost everyone has a tax rate above 15%. So even if this was agreed to and it actually went through, what would the you know what would the changes be? It wouldn't be that significant. It's just sending a minimum tax rate, so no one can lure in new cor- corporations with bribing them with those low tax rates, bribing them with their opportunity to keep their own money. Um, we should also point out that Biden has no role when it comes to determining U.S. tax rates. He can say he wants a tax rate of a zillion percent. However, that's not how our our system works. Now, Biden's had a role in determining U.S. tax rates before in his life when he was in the Senate. But now he does not have that role. Let me quote. uh, This is from a piece from Charles C.W. Cook, National Review. Just so we are clear, the agreement is entirely meaningless within the American framework of government, and it should be regarded as such. It is not a treaty. It is not a law. It is not a commitment that the U.S. has any obligation whatsoever to honor. In no way has the U.S. backed the deal. Under our Constitution, Congress sets the tax rates and may do so without reference to the president, the secretary of Treasury, or the government of any other country, obviously. If in years to come, a subsequent Congress decides that the corporate tax rate should be lower than 15 percent, it will be entirely within its authority to follow through on that decision without a second thought. If it does, we should not expect to be told that the U.S. is breaking international law, disrespecting our foreign partners or breaking a de facto legal accord or retreating from an agreement. It will not be. It's important to note uh, that this really means nothing to us. I will say. There's also no chance of us lowering the tax rate to below the 15%. The point is more about these other countries and what they're doing. And that's, that's the thing that's kind of hit me hard looking at this. What happened to the United States of America? What happened to us leading? We're the country of the free market. We're the country that unleashed the free market on the world to its benefit over and over again. Now we're the country that goes and bribes and harangues other countries to raise their tax rates. What happened to us saying, you know what? We want to have the best possible environment for businesses. We want to have lower tax rates than everyone else. So they come here and want to set up shop here. Instead, we are asking everyone else to make things worse. We're not going to make it better. We need you to make it worse so people don't leave us. On earth is going on? This is like someone who's, a, you know, abusing their wife and says, hey, other husbands out there, come on, what are you guys doing? You guys need to hit your wife too, or they're going to leave me. 
It's unfair if you guys don't at least hit your wife once because my wife keeps leaving me and divorcing me every time I do it. What an unfortunate circumstance. How about not abusing your wife? Is that a possibility? Apparently not in the United States as it stands today, which is bizarre. Again, this is a country. This is we're going into July 4th weekend here. This is a time where our independence is in focus. Why do we have that independence? Because we had a different idea than everybody else. We came out and we said, you know what? This is going to be better. We set up a constitution. We set up a founding uh, set of documents to govern this country in a way that would allow for maximum freedom and minimum government. Yes, the government does some basic things, but that's not supposed to be what this government's about. Certainly, we're not supposed to be around the world trying to influence other countries to raise their taxes. What on earth is going on? I will say Ireland is holding out. Ireland has a corporate tax rate of just 12.5%. And why did they do that? To attract business. Has it worked? Yes, it's worked very well for Ireland. And they've, been, uh, in, they've done very well since this began. I just don't understand what the end game is here. Our idea in the United States was to set up an example, a shining beacon for everyone else to look at and say, you know what, they're doing it right. Let's be like them. And around the world, for some reason, people have taken the basic ideas that we've presented. And instead of just adopting what we're doing and or something very, very similar, they've taken different approaches. They've gone with like, you know, like the Great Britain's like, ah, you know, we'll just keep the monarchy. I keep that hanging around. Maybe we'll give them billions of dollars a year so they can run around and be on front of all the tabloids. Um, and we'll, all our news coverage will cover them while other people uh, conduct the business of the country. All around the world, countries have looked at us. And instead of just saying like, okay, they had the Constitution right. Let's kind of go with what they have. Maybe we could tweak around the edges for our culture. But let's just like, you know, find the words United States in their documents and replace it with, uh, you know, Liberia and... <laughs> Just implement it because it obviously seems to work pretty well over there. And for a while that started to happen. And since people are starting to fade away from that idea. I mean, look at El Salvador right now. El Salvador uh, had all sorts of issues with corruption and their currency in their country. And what they do? First of all, they took on the U.S. dollar because that was what the, the, the stable way to go. In the 2000s, they took on the U.S. dollar as their official currency. It's still their official currency. But they looked at it and they said, you know what? We don't have control as to what they're doing with all of this. If they take their currency and they print it into oblivion so it means nothing anymore, where does that leave us? So now, as another currency, a legal tender in El Salvador, the first country in the world, is now Bitcoin. Why? If we were leading the way we used to lead, instead of just destroying our own currency, they wouldn't need to do that. They could just stick with the dollar. Instead, they need protection against the U.S. government and their dollar. Does that not seem unacceptable to us? I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's the right thing. You know, we have this idea that we can kind of just go around everything. The left wants to just go around the Constitution. Ah, we don't really want to amend the Constitution to say the electoral vote uh, should be repealed. Instead, we want to go around it with the National Popular Vote Compact. Same thing here. Instead of saying, like, look, we, 
we're the United freaking States of America. Lower the tax rates. We should have lower rates than Ireland. Make countries beat our doors down to get into this nation and set up shop. You want to worry about foreign jobs and tax evasion? No one's going to try to evade your taxes if they're low enough. And honestly, people are going to want to come here. They're not going to want to go to foreign jobs. You know what? You want to increase immigration? Have these companies set up here and then legal immigration can go forward. We'll have plenty of cash to make sure that that system runs a lot better. We'll invite the best people from around the world to come here and make our country better. Instead, now we're trying to make the rest of the world worse. Our solution is not to improve ourselves. It's to poison everywhere else. Hey, everybody else, come on this bandwagon with us. Raise your rates so we don't have to lower ours. It really is an embarrassment. Our, co- our country was set up as this shining beacon I talked about that's supposed to invite people, to, that people are want to desire to come here. Companies are going to demand to come here. The best workers, the best conditions, the best tax rates, the best environment. And every year we fall lower and lower on the economic competitiveness index. Why? Because we no longer have those principles. We've abandoned them. We don't have to abandon them. But that is where we're going right now. And I will say, whether it's uh, the, what we talked about with the, the vote uh, compact, and with the electoral vote, whether it's the climate uh, situation where we go around and we have everyone agrees to these fake standards that we're going to cut emissions. We hit our targets. No one else seems to hit theirs. And now this, where we're asking people to raise taxes. We're asking companies that are, could be based in the United States to stay away from the United States and go to other countries because, look, we can't provide you with the best environment. And when those places uh, say, well, we're going to lower taxes so we can outcompete the United States, we say, no, agree with us to keep your taxes high so that government can grow, so that we could take more control, so that more money that could go to things that are valuable, that could actually help people, instead goes to the government so it is eaten. It's a terrible idea. Hopefully, we are able to push it back. But these things are coming more and more often. Glenn has been talking a lot on radio and TV about these ESG standards and the Great Reset. These are all efforts to go around our normal process. Efforts to go around the the guideposts set up by the U.S. Constitution. It's not right, and it has to stop. Trying to buy or sell a home these days? Oof, man, it's, it can be challenging. If you're selling a home, you probably are pretty happy about that. You're bringing in a lot of extra cash, maybe more than you thought a year ago or two years ago, maybe a lot more. But you need to make sure you're maximizing these transactions. It could be the biggest transaction, the biggest decision you ever make in your life to sell a house at a market like this. Uh, at the same time, buying a house in a market like this can do the opposite. You might pay too much. What if the market isn't as good in a little while? You need to make sure that you're buying the right house for the right price and thinking the right way. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a website where you can go, no matter where you live, and you can find the best agent in your area, someone who knows the market, someone who understands what's going on with the situation right now, someone who's up to date, who knows where the best places to go are and where the best places to stay away from are. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. It's Real Estate Agents I Trust. Dot com.
The U.S. has added 850,000 jobs. This is uh, above the predictions uh, in the market and above the average of the previous three months. There was a slowdown, it seemed like. Um, some people were worried that maybe this did not come. Sorry, that's driving me crazy. Uh, it, uh, that they would not come back. The jobs were not coming back as quickly as they thought they were going to come back. Uh, that has sort of evaporated, I would say, with this uh, this month and the last uh, last month as well. Uh, restaurant traffic across the country is nearly back to pre-pandemic levels. More people are shopping. Um, the number of people flying each day has now re- uh, regained about 80% of its pre-COVID levels. Americans' confidence in the economic outlook has nearly recovered. Friday's report showed that the unemployment rate, rate rose, actually, from 58 in May to 59 in June. But as we know, that's not really a great measure of, uh, of the economy. I mean, it, gives, it tells you something. But obviously, when more people come into the job uh, arena looking for jobs, that does tend to happen. The U.S. trade deficit has increased to $71.2 billion in May. If you've watched this show... You've heard me blah, 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 blah about why the trade deficit is not an important thing. Uh, it really doesn't make any difference whatsoever. It's not, it's not what they say it is. What the important thing to know about this is when your, your, um, your country's economy is expanding and growing, what you find most of the time is that the trade deficit will also expand. What, you want to cut a trade deficit, the fastest way to do that is a recession. It's happened every single time. It happened during COVID once again. And now that we're coming out of it and going the other way, uh, that we are seeing that big uh, increase in the trade deficit. Not really something I'm worried about. I will say that this economic news sounds good. It's also built on a bunch of lies, right? It's built on multiple trillions of dollars just being spent by the government that we don't have. Now, obviously, as we all know, You can spend your way to prosperity for a time. This is something, if you think about it this way, you can make your life seem like a rock star's life. You can be the ultimate Instagram influencer, traveling all over the world for a while on those credit cards. And at some point, that money runs out and you can't pay the bills. That is what we're approaching here in the United States now. Now, I don't know what the limit is. I don't know if there's a breaking point. I don't know if it, 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 what, what series of events happens that turns this thing upside down. But what we do know is you can't spend unlimited money forever. That's not a thing. No country's ever been able to do it. Countries go through these periods. They spend, they spend, they spend, they spend. And then they run their face into a wall at one point. And we are risking. I mean, this is, I will say the spending side of this is worse than anything I could have imagined. It also, it, it's, it certainly started for reasonable uh, me, uh, reasons during the pandemic. It started during uh, the Trump administration. But, you know, it's much, much worse. It's getting worse. They want another 3 to $5 trillion. After this $1 trillion, they want to spend on infrastructure that's quote-unquote bipartisan. The bottom line is you can't continue to do this forever, and we're getting closer and closer to the wall we're going to plow our face into. I don't want to see that happen. I'd like to see it reversed. I have little to no hope that's going to occur. At this point, really, there's two sides to this issue. You have the Democrats who want to spend incredibly high amounts of trillions of dollars, and the Republicans who want to spend only moderate amounts of trillions of dollars. There is no party and really no single prominent person at this point who seems to care anything about spending on either side of this. That's a major problem. You know, I 
live in a household with a, my wonderful wife uh, on the on the uh, on Instagram. Lisa Page made me do it. She can occasionally, occasionally spend a little bit of money, and there's a dynamic there, right? You know, when I want to spend money, she's never going to tell me no because she knows that means she gets to spend more money. But if one of us are not sitting there saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't go do X, Y, and Z, we're going to be homeless. We will be under a freaking bridge in 10 minutes. We ha- you have the push and the pull. It's supposed to come from two parties. Now it's only coming from the government versus the people. And only about maybe 20% of the people actually care about spending anymore. And those people are largely swallowed up in, in other political, cultural debates, and they don't spend much time thinking about it. You know, we bring on Brian Riedel every, like, five days on this show. Why? Because he's the only person who seems to care about how much money we're spending anymore. And I love bringing him on because we have to talk about this, and you just don't see it anymore out there. I know some people on The Blaze do it. Certainly some conservative media go down these roads. But, man, it's, it's getting more and more rare, and we better start caring about it again, or we're going to get swallowed up in a tsunami of debt that we'll never recover from. Now, luckily, that's going to be my kids' problem, maybe. Uh, maybe grandkids. Uh, maybe, maybe me in my old age. But honestly, I barely have any health now. So I probably don't have that much longer anyway. Probably going to be other people's problem. Uh, sorry, Zach and Ainsley, my kids. You know, look, daddy tried. I mean, I brought, you go back. It, when all this economy starts crashing down, the American experiment is over, my kids can stand up and say, hey, he did book Brian Riedel quite often. So we'll have that going for us. The Trump Organization uh, is now being charged with running a 15-year employee tax scheme. Uh, Look, there's a couple elements to this story. I'm not going to break. You've probably heard all about this. Uh, This is someone who was very close uh, in the Trump administration to to Donald Trump. Um, He was kind of a big financial guy who ran things for, you know, 40, 50 years. Uh, They're going after him, not because of what he did here but because they think it will help them get to Donald Trump. Uh, They know that what we're seeing here is is an effort to get uh, Alan Weiselman to to flip, to flip on him, to say, you know what? Please don't put me in prison. Let me tell you about all the bad things Donald Trump did. Here's some documents about that. There's two sides to this, though. Number one, what he's actually being charged with here is probably a problem, but it's not a big one. It's not some it's not some giant scheme like they're describing it. Basically, they're saying, for example, his kids went to private school. It seems like allegedly the company paid for that private school. And instead of, you know, claiming that as income, hey, my company gave me a bunch of money to pay for private school or paid the private school directly. That needs to be charged as income. Instead, they didn't do that. So, you know, if it's twenty thousand dollars a year. Whatever tax he would pay on that, eight, ten thousand dollars in New York, probably, that money was not paid. So over a 15-year period, it's something like 1.7 million dollars in perks is what are, is what they found. Now look, to you and I, it's a lot of money. To executives in the Trump organization, it's really not. It's 1.7 million dollars over 15 years. So about a hundred thousand dollars a year. What's the tax on that? I mean, it's not insignificant, but it's something that normally, in a normal circumstance, what you'd need to do is pay back taxes and the fines and the penalties on that money. 
Maybe you'd pay an extra fine if it was too egregious and you walk away with your life. What they're trying to do here is to get Wiseman to flip on Trump so they can get something bigger. Now, and when they go down the road of the Trump organization, there's been all of these big exposés by journalistic organizations over the past few years about the Trump organization and their problems with taxes. You haven't read them. Why? Because you have a life. Okay. I, unfortunately, have the, the utter displeasure to read all of these stupid things. And what I will tell you is some of the stuff they're going to find is going to be a legal problem. Things like the Trump uh, organization going to find, uh, to, to, uh, like let's say you're going to get a loan, okay, and you have a building, and you say, oh, well, I have to come up with high amounts of assets to get this loan. So you say, ah, the building's worth $200 million. Then later on, you know, a week later, they, you have to file your taxes, and you want to pay, you want the value of that building to be a little bit lower, you pay lower taxes on it. And you say, ah, that building's worth $100 million. Well, if you're saying both things, that's a legal issue, okay? I'm not going to deny it. They're going to they're find stuff. The thing I can't tell you is, does every other real estate company in the universe do the same thing? Probably. What they're trying to do here is take an issue that might be a problem and turn it into a much bigger problem because you know and I know what the end game is here. They want to put Donald Trump uh, into prison. They want to go after him in a million different ways. Will they be able to do it? I have my doubts they're going to find anything that's going to actually make that happen. That would be a major change in the way our country runs itself. The Democrats are trying to do it, though. You know, usually when a president leaves office, I mean, the, Donald Trump ran basically for office saying he was going to arrest Hillary Clinton. He didn't wind up doing it. Usually these things don't wind up coming to fruition. But I will tell you this, the left is going to try really, really hard to make it so. CNN is on the scene for the 4th of July uh, weekend to let you know what you can and cannot do uh, when you're celebrating. They actually brought in a medical analyst, Dr. Lena Wen, for her thoughts. What if you're feeling anxious about a gathering this weekend? What kind of gatherings are safe from a COVID-19 perspective now that the Delta variant is in the United States? That depends on the answer to one key question, says Dr. Lena Wen. Are you vaccinated? For unvaccinated people, the risk of COVID-19 remains high. That is one interesting thing about the whole vaccination thing uh, going on right now. We have seen such dramatic drops uh, in cases, in deaths. We are down 95% in cases and 93% in uh, deaths. That being said, if you are unvaccinated, the rates are still, we're still pretty moderate to high as far as spread goes among unvaccinated people. As a reminder, 99.9% uh, 99.9% of hospitalizations right now are of unvaccinated people. 99.9%. So if you're vaccinated, you're probably fine. If you're not, you're probably fine, you know, especially if you're around other vaccinated people. But the general uh, vibe of that is you're at a higher risk. You should think of it as pretty swallowed up in the big drops and the overall numbers are much smaller drops among unvaccinated people. So you should at least be aware if you feel like it. But, you know, it's really up to you. Um, does size gathering matter from CNN? First of all, size does matter, as we know. Well, that's been clear. Um, she says yes and no. If you're outdoors, it doesn't really matter. We know this already. We've been talking about it for a long time. I'm not even a doctor, and I told you that a long time ago. Uh, this part is, I think, the most interesting, however. 
CNN asks, there are, a lot of un- there are a lot of vaccinated people who might not feel comfortable with any of this social activity. They are worried about getting COVID-19, however small risk it might be. What's your advice to them? First of all, my advice to them would be, you got vaccinated, you don't have to worry about it. But their advice is different. They say, step one, know that this is normal. Step two, think through the social activities that are of highest value to you compared to the relative risk of that activity. Third, once you're engaged in the activity, focus on the here and now. Fourth, take it slow. And fifth, be okay with saying no. What kind of person needs CNN to advise them on their life like this? That kind of person is not invited to my 4th of July barbecue. You should take it slow and you should be okay with saying no because I don't want you at my house. Now you might say, wait a minute, different strokes for different folks, right? Yes. However, different strokes for different folks at different houses than my own. Just, just, you go there, I'll stay here, and we'll all be happier. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Big uh, news for uh, everybody's favorite protein bar company, Built Bar, now the official sponsor of the Olympic USA track and field team. If you haven't had a Built Bar yet, you're missing out because Built Bar has the flavors that matter. We're talking about all the big ones, coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, uh, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. I can't get through this list without my mouth watering. And they have all these special flavors they do all the time. You can get a mixed box and get every single flavor shipped right to your door. And these things are healthy. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, four grams of sugar, four grams of carbs. This is uh, pretty fantastic. And you can go get them now at built.com. Built.com, the promo code is stew15. Look, we know what's gonna happen this weekend. You're gonna have the barbecues, you're going to get lots of beer. You're, you're going to be, as uh, I, would use, I used to say to Jeffy all the time, overweight. Okay, you're going to come off this weekend. It's going to suck. Next week, you need to get going. So start now. Order some Built Bars. That'll get you back, uh, back in the swing of things next week. The promo code is Stu15. Go to Built.com. Built.com. Stu15 for 15% off. So make sure you subscribe to Stu Does America, the podcast. If you haven't done so, what are you waiting for? StuDoesAmerica.com. You can get the links to all the favorite platforms that provide our show, and you can get it for free. Please do so. And I'm happy to welcome back to the program Will Witt, media personality for PragerU. As we near July 4th, PragerU will be reminding people why patriotism is all, uh, and what it's all about, really, uh, with their Fly the Flag campaign. Will, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for being on. Why is the flag important? I'm told it's a sign of racist hatred. Yeah, you know, it's just a symbol that shows how much you hate this country and that you don't stand for it. That's what the flag has turned into, that it's this racist dog whistle symbol nowadays. But reality, the flag represents a country that stood up for its own beliefs, that stood up for what it's believed in. It stood against tyranny for hundreds of years. The flag represents the greatest country on earth. The flag represents Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded on. And there are people right now in this country who want to destroy that, and that is also why they hate the flag. 
You know, I think there's a, there's a, and that's well put. I mean, I think that there's a sense, though, among people, there's a little bit of eye rolling that goes on with a flag. You know, there's sort of like, all right, give me your Lee Greenwood song for the 5,000th time. You know, it's, it's not, I don't know, it's not cool, right? It's not cool to go and, like, actually, like, support America, or at least that's what we're told. Do you find that, you know, people around the country actually want to dive in and, and, and be patriotic, you know, at, co- at the college level and, 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 and all, around, uh, all around the country? What I actually find is that immigrants to this country are the most patriotic people that I've talked to. Immigrants and conservatives, obviously, but immigrants who come to this country, they come to this country for a better life, for more opportunities, and they, they love it here, and they fly the flag proudly. They love everything this country stands for. The least patriotic people are the children of these immigrants who grew up in this country, but not knowing what it took their parents to actually get there and not respecting the values that are here. So I see some good being done when it comes to who's actually patriotic, but then I see a lot of uh, I'm worried about the future as well, seeing what our younger generation thinks about this country. Uh, you, you bring up an interesting point with the, uh, with the immigration uh, angle here, because I find that to be really true as well. You know, people who come here from, if you're living in some, uh, some country where the government is cracking down on you, will not let you survive, will not let your family thrive, and you take this insane risk, right, to go around the world, to go to this country based on just the hope that something might uh, pop for you and your family, and you get there, you wind up really appreciating it. And uh, that's something I think it's overlooked a lot. D- does the conservative side of the argument at times downplay the, the, really, the real upsides of legal immigration? I think it definitely does, but I, like, like, look at African immigrants coming to this country. They come by the hundreds of thousands, and they come to America. Why? Because it's a racist place? Of course not. They come here because of opportunity. You didn't see Jews in the 1930s moving to Germany then. That was an actual anti-Semitic state, right? So that's why people didn't leave there. If, the, if America was actually the racist, horrible place that it is, then you wouldn't see thousands of people coming from Africa and doing well here. And they're some of the best performing groups in this country. I mean, statistically speaking, they do very well. And I think that conservatives, if they want to have a foothold in the argument for patriotism, they should be looking at these legal immigrants and saying, look, these people are doing well in this country. They support a flag. We just need them to know why this country is great and actually informing them on conservative values. We've seen this uh, movement looking at, uh, for example, the Star Spangled Banner. It's just this thing, you know, you grow up and you learn about it and it's just a a statement of uh, really of patriotism and a symbol of this country. The left is going after every symbol of this country that they can find, every possibility to attack the patriotism of this country, to make people feel as if the place they live in and root for is a negative influence on this world. Is that what you're seeing, and what do we do to stop it? Well, look, they said before, they said, let's just take down Robert E. Lee statues. It's like, okay, we said, okay. Then they're like, let's take down these Confederate statues. It's like, okay, I guess so. And then it turns into now the National Archives, people who are working at the National Archives, are saying that the foundation of this country is racist, and they set up a task force to the founders, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution are all racist. So you give them an inch and they take a mile every single time. That's what we're seeing happen time and time again. And so how you fix this, I mean, it really goes down to education. You have to start people at educa- educating them at a young age in school, because when I was in school going through elementary school, I couldn't tell you who a Republican or a Democrat was. I couldn't tell you what socialism was, but I could tell you that the earth was heating up and that police were pretty bad. So mm. they're learning this indoctrination at such a young age, and it's time for us as conservatives 
Republicans to make our number one issue, the number one thing that we are pushing for in the years to come is fixing the education system, whether that's banning CRT, getting rid of the teachers union or um, um, school choice, instituting that, among other things. School choice is something that has been a sort of a Republican conservative plank for a long time. And we've been talking about it for a long time. Um, and it seems to have lost some of, the, of its juice behind it, I think, in the movement. We talk a lot about CRT, which is really important. Maybe we can get to that here in a second. Is, is school choice still a top agenda item for Republicans? No, it's not. It's not at all. They've, they've given it up. So many things that excuse me, I think used to be top agenda items for conservatives, things that they really push for, are no longer anymore. I mean, even the pro-life debate, we had a Republican Congress and a Republican president in 2016, and we couldn't even get Planned Parenthood defunded. Mm. Think about that for a second. Not even thinking about outlawing abortion. We couldn't even get Planned Parenthood defunded. So these issues that have for a long time been very conservative issues are no longer the conservative issues that that we put at the helm of our arguments. And they should be. School choice is an amazing thing. They do it in Sweden. This socialist place that Bernie likes to talk about, and it works great there. Why can't we have it in America? We should. Uh, there's a, when you, we talk about critical race theory, there's sort of this approach, right? Um, and there's a bit of disagreement maybe on the conservative side between an approach where the state kind of comes in and says, hey, you can't teach this stuff. Um, you know, we need to make sure it's banned from all public schools. And the other side of that argument is like, well, you know, look, we could ban this stuff, but the more the state gets involved in controlling education, that's not going to work out well for conservatives over the long haul. Which side of this do you think is right? It's a tough issue because we look at the same thing when it's come to YouTube censorship and and leftists trying to get rid of the First Amendment, that now it's starting to backfire on them a little bit with that right-wing watch YouTube channel, if you heard about that, yeah. where they were taken off of YouTube. So these things that leftists thought would be good for them in the long run actually ended up biting them in the butt too. So it's hard to say that if we as conservatives push for banning CRT that something like that couldn't end up uh, hurting us in the long run. I, for one, at the moment, I think it's a good thing for the government to step in and say we want to ban CRT when it comes to the state level. Ron DeSantis doing it, Governor of Ohio doing it, among other states. I think it's a good thing because I think that right now that is the biggest fight we have because I can't go out on the street and talk to people, talk to anyone here in Los Angeles without having the conversation be related to race. It's either it's, mm. it's either related to race or gender. You meet someone and that is what they talk about because that is how ingrained and brainwashed people have become. So I think at least in the short run, we'll see what happens in the future. But I think that banning it in schools is going to be a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like the state does have control at that level. And it's a pretty, pretty it's so egregious. It's hard to disagree with it. I mean, I feel like we had at some point relatively recently a pretty good understanding and generalized agreement that we should not be making decisions based on skin color. Any decisions. It's a terrible idea. Every time someone tries to make decisions based on skin color, we see it works out really poorly for everyone. And yet it seems like the sort of anti-racism movement, the critical race theory, the white fragility movement, all of these things are combining to bring us back to this point where hardcore racists from the past would have cheered on that everyone is thinking about race all the time. Yeah, the progressivism has really turned into regressivism. We were looking at an article on my podcast the other day where it was a BuzzFeed thing, and these girls were saying that 
because of the COVID lockdowns, they felt much safer at home because they didn't have to deal with the microaggressions from white people in the office. These were minorities. And it's like, what, what do you want? Do you want separate colored water fountains, separate bathrooms, separate places where people work? Do you want to go back in time to segregation so that you don't have to deal with anyone of another race? I mean, that is what racism is. That is the place that we're getting to. Everything is backwards now and everything is related to race. I'm sick of it. I just want people to look at each other and say, I don't care what race you are. It's about your ideas. Yeah, uh, that, that would be nice. I, I, it feels like that era is long gone. Um, all right. As we go into the uh, July 4th uh, holiday, you guys are doing this cool movement, uh, kind of the pledge, a uh, different pledge uh, to the flag, uh, actually encouraging people to understand that it's a positive symbol for America. What's your what's your elevator pitch for this country? Why do you why do you love America so much, Will? Oh, where do I begin? I mean, the number one thing for me is actually I just got recently baptized. And so the Judeo-Christian values of this country and what it was founded on are incredibly important to me that the the constitution of this country and the Declaration of Independence, where you have inalienable rights endowed on you by your creator, there was no constitution in the world set up like America before America. Other countries after that started setting up constitutions. Some went away, some are redacted, some changed a little bit, but ours has stayed stayed true with those same values and the the U.S. founding fathers knew that you don't get your rights from the government, you don't get your morality from the government, you get them from God. And so for me, that is something that is so incredibly important. And if more people woke up to the fact that that was how our country was founded, I think we'd be on a much better track in America already. Mm, very cool. Will Witt, um, the PragerU has done so much to educate so many people on the basic uh, truths and, of conservative values and American principles. Uh, they're doing the hashtag fly the flag thing this for July 4th. Make sure you check it out at PragerU. You. Will, thanks so much for uh, doing this. Where can people find you on social media? The Will Wit. Find me the Will Wit, not just any Will Wit. The Will Wit. <laughs> the find single. me all there and then PragerU.com. Very cool. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks, man. You've heard this story like 10 million times where a cat gets stuck in a tree and the fire department has to come out and get the cat out of the tree. Let me show you this video. This is a situation in Tulsa. There's a cat up in the tree. Fire department comes. Normal situation, right? They go up the ladder. They go across. They're getting the cat out of the tree. Everything should be fine, right? This is a normal story. Why is it on the news? I don't know. Except for the fact that, well, it wasn't just the cat stuck in the tree. There was also an idiot up in the tree. There he is. He's either evacuating a person out of the tree. Why is there a person stuck in the tree? Because the cat got stuck in the tree, and then the person went up to get the cat out of the tree, and then himself got caught in the tree. So now there's a person and a cat in the tree. That's America right now. They're evacuating people out of trees who went to go save cats from trees, and there's the little kitty. Now, I understand, I guess they had to do this, but I think it would have been better if the firefighter had also got stuck in the tree, and then they had to call in, like, the National Guard, who would then also get stuck in the tree, and then uh, uh, Marines would come in, and I think they would get stuck in the tree. Eventually, we get to the point 
It's like a series of Russian dolls. Joe Biden comes in. He's got to get them out of the tree. And obviously he takes one step on one branch and snaps his ankle. And then we're all pretty much screwed. The good news is everyone else is stuck in a tree. And you and I can hang out at a barbecue and have a solid Fourth of July without Joe Biden, without cats, without idiots in trees. All that's gone. Just you and I, beer and a Fourth of July. We'll see you next week.